Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the book of Isaiah, and today we are in uh, chapter 54. Just as a reminder, we finished up over the past two days Isaiah 53, this uh, fourth servant song about the suffering servant, and Isaiah 54 now is going to talk about kind of the, the after effects of what the servant did. So we're in Isaiah 54, uh, selected verses, and Michael, if you'd read for us, that would be wonderful. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you have, who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, and spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's army is, is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. If any nation comes to fight you, it is not because I sent them. Whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. I have created the blacksmith who fans the coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction, and I have created the armies that destroy. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, this, like I said, this passage is a reflection of what happens because of what the servant has done, uh, this, the special servant, the Messiah. And uh, in verses uh, one through three, it's interesting, um, it uses this image for Israel of a, a childless woman. And so a barren woman or a woman without children would be someone who was experiencing in that society uh, shame and frustration of purpose uh, and being without a legacy or a future. And, and Israel is compared to that because Israel's uh, purpose was frustrated. Israel was meant to be a light to the world. But because of its faithlessness, because of its continually turning to other gods and not being faithful to God, they ended up not living up to that purpose. And it was up to the servant, the representative of Israel, to actually do that because Israel, the nation, couldn't do it. So they were like a you know, spiritually barren woman who didn't have children. But now God is saying that the, the child of the barren woman will be will be even greater, the number of children will be even greater than the woman who has uh, has a husband. And we, we get a context for this application actually in Galatians 4.27, where the Apostle Paul quotes this very verse, um, seemingly to point out how the children of the new covenant of grace outnumber and, and will be far greater than the number of the children who had come through the covenant of the law, uh, even if that had you know, fulfilled a, a greater purpose, that the children of grace are far more because it affects not just Israel, but the entire world. And this builds on an idea that's a theme that's really consistent in scripture, is that God does call us to faithfulness, but at the same time, 
when we are not faithful, God's grace can more than make up for our lack of faithfulness. In other words, redemption overcomes sin. Redemption is greater uh, than sin and failure. And so uh, this is something something that comes about is that Israel's failure actually allows, puts God in a position to um, produce an even greater success than Israel herself would have been able to do by producing all these children of a new covenant. Um, and then finally, in verses 15 and 17, uh, it talks about the uh, vindication of the servants of God. And this parallels the vindication of, of the Messiah, the servant in, in the previous chapter. Just as the suffering servant was vindicated, so the servants of God will be vindicated because God will fight for us. Now, all of that said, I think there is one kind of caveat in here. And that is in verse 17, we get this phrase, in that coming day. Um, and so there seems to be a context that points to a future day as if uh, this total vindication will not yet be our experience. Excuse me. Um, biblical language, especially when it comes to prophetic uh, speeches, is kind of weird with the tenses. Like, for instance, very often future events will be referred to in the present or even past tense as if they happened, had already happened. And it's almost as if uh, we're being transported like time travelers to that future moment to experience what God is talking about, that we get to see it for ourselves and then we're brought back. But then we're given this word that's not based on a tense. We're given this phrase not based on a tense, but it, it's a context says in that day. So it's it's almost as if we're pulled back out of that future time into the present. And again, I'm speaking very uh, interpretively here. I'm, I'm making a lot of assumptions. But what I, I think is being said here is God is making this promise that ultimately will never be abandoned. But then this promise about no army ever defeating and no weapon being turned against us, all of that, I think that is being referred to in that future day, the day of the Lord. So the beginnings of that are right now, God will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, this is something that Jesus said. And I, I, I think Paul pulls on these very ideas uh, in Romans 8, where he says, and I, I want to get this uh, right. Uh, Romans 8, he says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Uh, and then finally he says, um, verse 38, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither demons or angels, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. So I, I, I think that uh, Paul's reflection there is like an Isaiah 54 reflection on what happens in Isaiah 53 because of what the servant has accomplished for or in their, in their time, what the servant would accomplish, but in our time, what the servant has accomplished for us means that God can never be separated from the love of God. Um, and that's the only way we could be secure because it's based on God's promise and not our behavior. Uh, Michael, I've been going on for a while. I'm wondering what you see here and, and how does this uh, ring with you and how does this affect you and impact you? Yeah, I think um, this these particular passages in Isaiah, I really um, find to be moving. And I think in particular, because they're unlike some other texts in, in the sense that like, these are poets, these are poetic kind of prophecies. And I think, um, uh, I, I consider myself a poet. I've been writing a bunch and I, I really love it. And one thing I do love about poetry is the way that it draws on real, um, reality, but tries to expand upon it. It tries to, 
um, tell the stories in a different way where it's just not like factual, but it's trying to like move something within you. It's like trying to um, get you to feel the, 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 what the writer, what the author is trying to express. And I see that in this text where there is just, there's just this realness of naming, like, you know, how they felt like the widow, like feeling like a widow, feeling barren, feeling empty, right? That like, that names a real experience. But then um, he goes even further to then try to draw upon um, making his point uh, not through just like logical or an analysis, but through this like moving of the heart of towards a hope that is rooted in something real too, which is rooted in God's faithfulness. And, and I think that um, if it was written any differently, and if we, we try to bypass that, then we kind of miss what the text is trying to do, which is it's, it's meant to be read poetically. It's meant to draw something out of us and meant to move us towards this hope in God. But then it makes where God then says, like, I will return to you and I will give you this hope. But guess what? It's going to it's not on you. Like, I'm not putting this on you. I'm this is going to be because of my faithfulness going to be because of what my servant does. And um, and drawing upon Romans eight again, like Paul writes that because he spends eight chapters reflecting on what Christ has done to make sense of it. He just says this really kind of elaborate metaphor of these or these big images or these illusions they aren't like these factual things uh, or factual things and i think that makes it beautiful it makes us long and and want to hope in what god wants to give us and and so i just find so much beauty in these passages and and i know it can be hard um, for some to like read these poetically but i'd really encourage it and and oftentimes what helps is to read them slow to read them aloud and to pause regularly to allow the when you're moved to allow your your emotions to start to um, draw you in and 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 I think that's what can make this this even more beautiful and and engage us in a very embodied way but also in a real very in a very real way too. So I'm going to ask a question that I think um, some people might be wondering themselves right now, and that is when you say it not factual, do you mean that it is? Um, contrary to fact, or do you mean that it moves beyond just the mere facts? Like, uh, what do you exactly mean when you say that? Yeah, I think what I mean is it's not like a textbook, right? That it, it's not okay. something you just read and it gives you this answer, but it's trying to draw you to an even, to experience um, a, a truth, a deeper truth um, that may not just be, yeah, that may not be rooted or experience in more of like an analytical faction. I think that, or that's what I mean, is it's a, it's a different way towards truth, um, if that makes sense. Okay. So it's something that affect, affects us subjectively, not just an objective proposition, like a truth statement or true or false, right? It's, it's more of an yeah. essay answer than a true or false. Yes. Yeah. Like a poetic answer, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, it reminds me of what, how C.S. Lewis described myth um, where in our in our kind of modern uh, understanding of myth, we think it means like um, mythological or not based in reality. It's this legend, right? But C.S. Lewis would contend that myth is actually a story that's being told that leads you towards an, towards the truth, towards an even greater truth. It's where you can't get there with just like propositions and formulas, but you get there being moved and experiencing it and being drawn into something deeper. Uh, and, and so that's that's a little bit of, I think, like what I sense here in this Isaiah text taking place. Yeah. So th that that's a good point, because that, that brings up w why I asked the question for people, because I think when we hear myth, we think false and non-historical. 
where C.S. Lewis was saying that history, God's history, is mythical as well, um, because it has it has meaning behind it, has significance behind it, rather than just being uh, a stream of events that don't have an inherent trajectory in an arc. They're not formed in a story. God's God's history is a story, uh, and so it contains uh, meaning as well as as events. So it's by by calling it mythic doesn't deny the factuality of the uh, of the events that are going on. So anyway, I, I, I know that if I were listening, I might have some of those questions. So I just wanted to give you the chance to answer and clarify some of that. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, I think uh, one thing I really encourage people today is, you know, we're going into Thanksgiving tomorrow. I, I really encourage you to think about the ways that you are thankful. How does this affect you, right? How does this impact your, your emotions, your perspective, uh, your your own story. How does this give meaning to your own story? To know that Jesus, the servant who was faithful, has secured this future for us, for you. And there's nothing that you can do. There's no failure that you can 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 make that will distance you from the love of God. Uh, if you want to let God in, no matter what you have done, no matter what you do in the future, uh, grace and redemption is always present there for you. Because of Jesus, not because of you. Well, Michael, I'm wondering if you have a final thought and you'd be willing to close this in prayer. You know, I I think that's it. So I'll go ahead and pray for us. Yeah. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for this hope that we have. Thank you for the ways you want to draw us nearer. And God, I pray that this during this season of Thanksgiving, that we be able to remember what you have done for us and we'd be able to share that love with others. And God, I pray that um, wherever people are, whatever they're experiencing, that as John said, that they would remember that you love them, that you are with them. And so God, I pray um, this over all of us this week. It's your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today, and I hope uh, you're having a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. We'll be back on Monday after the holiday, So, uh, but during the meantime, I really encourage you to take this time to think of all the ways that we can be thankful for what Jesus has secured for us and how God's love is this secure. Go in peace. <laughs>